This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, this is Jesse. Hi, this is Jim Campanella. Nice to talk to you, Jim. It's great to talk to you, Jesse. We've never chatted before, but I've asked many things of you in the past, uh, questions, and I uh, had you do some uh, short stories for us and for other places, yes, too. Yes, you have. So I guess I owe you some money or something, right? Uh, <laughs> no, nah, you owe me nothing. It's all volunteer work. That's wow. fun. Okay. Well, then I will ask more of you since this is uh, free, free of charge labor you're giving <laughs> At least, at least, at least you've offered. Uh, other people who I've done a lot more work for have not offered. <laughs> well, I can't believe how much how much work you've done. My first question is: You don't watch TV, do you? Uh, well, I don't watch a lot of TV. I mean, there's there's a couple of shows that I've been addicted to or that I watch regularly. I mean, there's like like two or three. I mean, I'm I when I, when when Lost was on, I used to watch Lost like like. That was the only show that I would watch live, the mm-hmm. only one, because I just I always wanted to see it. Um, and and despite the fact that I've had people, com- I mean, I mean I've I've read this. People have complained about the show. I don't know. I you're you're up in Canada, right? Mm-hmm. But you you get mo- mo- most of the U.S. shows. We've heard of these American uh, shows called Loster or something. <laughs> yes, of course. I'm just I'm sorry. I'm just being obnoxious here. Oh no. Um, the, uh, the 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 show uh, the, 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 which. Right now, I'm losing right now. What, what, what am I thinking? Oh, uh, the Big Bang Theory. Big Bang Theory. It's a okay. half-hour comedy on CBS. And, uh, and, uh, and that, that, that I just like because it's, it, it shows geek culture in, in a relatively reasonable light. <laughs> and since I, I've grown up in geek culture, uh, it, uh, I've, I've, I always appreciate that. And, they, and they're supposed to be scientists. And uh, despite supposed the fact be, that I've, yeah. I've had people scream. Well, yeah, I've had I've had people complain about what lousy scientists they are and how they would how they do stuff that nobody would ever acceptably do in science. It's it's a comedy show and it's very funny. I, I got a I got a question. The fact that they're scientists and is like just in the same way that I guess the people on Friends were had jobs and stuff too. I, I've never seen them in a laboratory. Exactly. I've never seen them in a classroom. I've never seen them do anything science related. They they're always sitting on a couch. Or right. in a cafe, or I assume well, I've only seen a couple episodes of it. And if you've I've, only seen a couple of episodes, I mean they they have shown them they have shown them at work okay. a bunch of times. I mean if you watch enough episodes, you see this, and you, and you do see them in the lab sometimes. So it's not it's not as if they're completely divorced from from actual work the way the people and friends were. But uh, but I mean they they do silly 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 things that would be utterly absurd. I, I mean. I mean, this 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 is coming from a scientist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, at, at one point, at, I think it was the the end of like a season or two ago. They they ended up all going to uh, Antarctica to uh, to look for neutrinos or something for for a winter, and so they spent an, an entire winter with 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 uh, each other. And at one point, they bec- they couldn't stand each other anymore, and they wanted to go back. So they made up da- three of them made up data. Uh, that the uh, that the the fourth one believed just so they could leave Antarctica. Hmm. Now, in terms of science, that's the worst possible thing you could possibly do. Yeah, and no legitimate scientist would 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 accept that. But I mean, you know, as a friend of mine once said about movies, look, it's it's a TV show. You can't take it very seriously. Yeah. 
Well, no, no. Well, that one I don't think is meant to be taken very seriously. Um, it's a it's a sitcom. It just has a, a slightly different pitch to, I guess, uh, the the idea behind it. But we're not here to talk about television shows. No, I no. don't think. And the and anyway, no. The point was is no. I don't watch that much television. Okay. Well, I, I just I couldn't imagine that you did, given how busy you are. At least from what I'm aware, perhaps your job doesn't require very much time. I don't know. What, what what do you do for a living? That's right. What do you do like for your day job? Show. Well, it's possible. I mean, <laughs> I've never been a I've never been a scientist per se. Just as a kid, when I was well, a really young I, kid. I, uh, I, I teach I teach at uh, at a university here, Montclair State University. Uh, I teach um, molecular biology and genetics, um, and. I also do research in uh, plant biology and plant genetics, as well as uh, looking at. Uh, <laughs> I I say this stuff and I and I wonder whether people follow what the heck I'm talking about sometimes. And the other thing that I do is I also do uh, molecular phylogeny work. Uh, we uh, look at the genetic relationships between uh, between different organisms at a, at uh, at a molecular level. Philology, like uh, the root of, like we use it in if, w- words, the root words of things. So you're saying the ancestry sort of Phi- connect- phylogeny, Phi- phylogeny, phylogeny as in phyla or phylum. Okay, phylum. Okay, gotcha. P H Y. In other words, in other words but why why do that kind of work? Well, no, no. P H Y. Scientists. The letters. Well, P H Y. That's right. Ah, gotcha. Not Phil. P H I L. Or philology, yes. yeah. Uh, not yes. I got not, it. Not talking about about that's right. Um, and that's and I mean I could literally spend forty five minutes just talking about my research and what we've done. And well, let's do that. Then. Um, what? Well, <laughs> <laughs> you you have a you have a podcast that I really enjoy. It's one of my favorite podcasts. It's actually the. Uh, I think I asked you to spin it off as a separate podcast, and I do believe you did that. If it wasn't me who asked you to do that. Um, I will still take credit for it. Uh, you've got a podcast called Science News Update, which is uh, yes. a segment on the Starship Sofa podcast. At yes, two uh, years. What of- I, and what I usually what I usually do is is I, I take that and I immediately save it. And as soon as it goes up on Starship Sofa, usually the same day, I put up the separate podcast on uh, on my website. It's it's great because then uh, I can instead of I always have these arguments with my mother about uh she's she's um an avid amateur uh biology fan so we have arguments about uh different aspects of what's possible etc and uh and and i said damn it here's the facts and i send her a podcast of starship self and she says i don't know where what you're talking about all they're talking about is <laughs> is this funny Jordy sounding dude talking about uh, his job and, and that's no okay Here's a separate podcast feed just for you, Mom. Just the biology section. But uh, yeah, you you were the one who suggested that I put it up separately, and uh, and yeah, I've got I've gotten lots of traffic, and I've, it's really good podcast. Like, pe- people have really appreciated it. It's um, really helpful. I, I've even I've even gotten my own. Uh, I mean, a lot of my own students even listen to it. I don't know why they listen. They hear me enough. I don't know why they want to hear my voice more. Maybe uh, see what's going to be talked about next week. I don't know. It's uh, it, it, it's it's not always unrelated. I mean, it's it's often sometimes sometimes. I mean, 
sometimes sometimes I'll talk about stuff on the podcast that I actually do talk about in my classes. It, very often, it's completely off the wall. <laughs> I mean, very strange. Yeah, so sort of it's certainly. It's, cer- yeah, keep going. Certainly, certainly, I don't talk about things like duck penises in my in my 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 classes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> do ducks have penises? I thought they just had cloaca. Is that how it's pronounced? Cloaca. Uh, cloaca. The female cloaca. ducks. Yeah. Cloaca. Yeah. But. Uh, yeah, yeah, that which which brings up yeah, which brings up the 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 what, yeah. For some reason, I don't know what it is. Biologists that I know seem to like talking about cloaca. I, it's very strange. It's a funny word. Uh, <laughs> it, the, that might be why uh, the cloaca is kind of an interesting organ. I mean, something that uh, that obviously mammals don't have. It's uh, I I probably shouldn't go, go into it go into it right now. Now that I think about it, it's not that big a deal. Uh, well, it's it's interesting in that it's uh, it's it's a combination of of openings. I mean, in uh, in mammals, there are separate openings for waste and for uh, insemination. No, and uh, well, yeah. in birds, Combo. that's not the case. Yeah, yeah, they just <laughs> have birds, a, they, a unihole. It, yeah, it's exactly it. They uh, they they solve the. I mean, they become very efficient. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, um, it's it's when you've got a bird and you want to know what gender it is. If 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 they you can't tell by their by their um, uh, secondary sexual sexual characteristics, like some birds, males and females are colored differently. You have to go in there and open them up and well, I you know, sex them. You have to go in there and have a look, right? Uh, presumably, I know enough about. No, I don't know a whole heck of a lot about birds. Uh, oh, okay. One of my, one of the, uh, one of the, one of the, the fellows who has an office next to me is is an ornithologist. In fact, one of the one of the world's experts on uh, on hawks, and uh, he could he could probably tell you for hours and hours everything you wanted to know. <laughs> but uh, whenever I have a question about birds, I go ask him. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, like an that's, African that's, gray parrot, they they look identical, male and female. The only way to tell is by size um there's a couple other things but the, you know the males look like the females so how does a male tell a female apart well they're not inspecting each other's cloaca right they're they're, they're <laughs> they can tell but we can't uh without well i mean some expertise in, in, and that's not even 100 percent certain my, my 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 immediate response to that would be it's it's probably has to do with behavior I mean, when when things look alike like that, uh, they can tell each other apart by the way they behave. That that one's that one's laying an egg. I wonder if that's a male. <laughs> <laughs> that's certainly the behavior that would give it away, right? That's that's one behavior that would give it away. Yeah. Um, but I, I I really I I enjoy doing the podcast. That that podcast. Um, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's some work sometimes because I have to actually spend a couple of hours each month just just uh, reading enough material so that I could come up with stories. Totally. Uh, it's, I've uh, asked you several questions that I've, I've seen you've answered. Um, it's uh, actually, you know, sometimes, sometimes having people ask questions is kind of nice because that way I can kind of focus on something mm-hmm. because, uh, I mean, I think very often the podcasts tend to be kind of unfocused and all over the place. And, and that, that leads to all sorts of oddities. I mean, like four months in a row or something, I had stories about ants. And I think that uh, 
that nobody ever complained or said, "Why are you telling us all this about ants?" But I think I think at some point it seems. I mean, if you if you listen for four months in a row, it becomes almost obsessive. It's like, "Oh my God, he's going to talk about ants again." What is going on with this guy? Well, there are a lot of ants out there, and and they they come in a large variety of. I mean, it's it's kind of strange we don't concentrate more on ants in in general conversation. I think, given how many <laughs> of them are uh, out there doing their business. I mean, the, the, but but the stories I talked about were, were really. I, I thought they were they were all kind of cool. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of them were invading populations of one kind or another. Or I think I had one story about these uh, giant uh, giant mega colonies of ants that were found in Minneapolis, if I remember correctly. That was months and months ago. But I mean, just 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 really neat stuff. Um, and uh, I think if I just happen to come across the same species, it just turns out that way. I I just I'm listening to a book. Uh, right now called um, damn what's it called it's called uh, what technology wants and it's a book about uh, technology as sort of a, a, an extension of evolution oh okay really interesting that, book and one that of the sounds, that sounds like the selfish gene is what that sounds it, like it's 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 very interesting and one of the there's many, many, many interesting bits in it, but he mentioned uh, some rock ants and how they've they've managed to, uh, you know, using microscopic brains uh, and as a collective, you know, group, they can measure measure space in you know perfect darkness uh, using scent trails and doing math um, to determine whether it's a good place for them to you know set up a colony. They can measure out trails and they they've managed to work out you know a, a mathematical system for pi um say wow that's pretty uh, pretty impressive for an ant well that's we're doing it and we use calculators they they just use their own little brains <laughs> that's uh, i mean i i think uh it's people have people have made some some important points about the fact that we we don't look at these populations enough that we don't look at small populations like like ants and understand them enough and uh and they are quite complicated and the fact that they have these 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 very complex abilities in by by presumably employing these these hive minds or these hybrid minds is is even more impressive uh, and I think that uh, we're we're going to discover more from from ants and bees and other hive populations in the future. And, and some people, I mean, and certainly, some people are already saying that uh, there should be computer systems that should be should be aligned along the same way, so that we can increase increase power. Well, uh, there, there's you, you you might want to check out this book. There's a large section, or not large section. There's parts of the book that talk about plant biology as well. And I assume most of it's it's pretty good. It doesn't seem to contradict any of the stuff I've heard you talk about. But you know, talking about uh, trop- tropism as a, you know, it's it's a plant brain, and pl- plants do think in the in the in the sense that they make decisions about directions to go, and it's not all uh, you know right. reaction. It's it's very, just well, very slow and very um, odd compared one to of the human well, I I don't know, I don't know what the book says, but. One of the things that I think people – well, sometimes people really misunderstand about plants is, is that the way that tropism, whether it's a phototropism with the plant growing up toward the sun or a gravitropism, which is roots growing down toward the, uh, toward the earth, they, they look like they're incredibly complex 
movements that are very, very well-defined. In, in other words, it looks as if, oh my gosh, the plant is detecting the sunlight, and look, it's growing in that direction. But they're very, very mechanical insofar as it has to do with, with chemical gradients and places where, where you have particular hormones being deposited or not deposited. So, for example, in the case of, uh, of a plant growing toward the sun, well, the reason why it's growing toward the sun is that you actually have more of a particular hormone, uh, a hormone is called auxin, on one side of the plant, uh, which is away from the sun in the shadow, as opposed to the other side of the plant. Because what the sun is actually doing is it's inhibiting that hormone on one side, and on the other side, you're actually getting a higher concentration. And so mm-hmm. it looks as if it's waving in that direction or moving in that direction, but, but it's... But there's no thought involved. It's it's a strictly mechanical a mechanic, operation. Yeah, but in the same in the same way that a light switch can be, you know, <laughs> um, an on-off switch. They have on-off switches that are much more complex than that, right? Oh, oh, certainly. I, I mean, I'm, what I'm doing is, is I'm just I'm, I'm giving you a sort of a simple view of it. I mean, it's certainly more complicated than that, and certainly plants plants do very very complex movements and have very very complex uh, tropisms, but I think we don't want to give them more uh, credit than they're due sometimes. We can't say this is a happy plant and it, it likes me. That's a well, little strong, but well, they, they do, you, do you, Oh, keep going. Well, then, well what I was going to say is, 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 is do, you, do you remember, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the book now. The name of the book was, oh, The Secret Life of Plants. Do you remember this book? Um, from uh, no, I don't. 1970s? Oh, you you don't remember this book? I don't think so. Um, let me see here. I believe Peter Tompkins and Christopher Bird. I believe that it was from the the late 70s originally when it was first published. But but what I was going to say about this book is it was it was a, a very strange book insofar as one of the things that it purported was that uh, that plants have have uh, have telepathic abilities mm. okay yeah i have, see it's it says dowsing that's that's how dowsing works right well yes because apparently the sticks are, are telepathic <laughs> toward the water well among other things what they they did very strange experiments like they hooked up one plant to a uh, to a lie detector then they put an identical plant next to it and started doing things like crushing leaves. And the plant connected to the lie detector would have all sorts of electrical activity. And it would, it would be jumping out of control. And, uh, and their conclusion was, oh my gosh, look, one plant is warning the other that it's being harmed. Hmm. And, and they, they did other bizarro things like drop drop plants into boiling water and then plants nearby would supposedly react electrically. And so their conclusion was is that one plant was able to send send telepathic messages to the other plant. And so for and for a long time people people in, uh, in the 70s and 80s and even today if you talk to some people probably from the west coast there uh, <laughs> I think much farther south than you are uh, <laughs> they they would say that they have these telepathic plants. Look, my plant is telepathic, and I talk to it every day. Well, it turns out in the last 10 or 15 years, what we've discovered is is that plants actually are able to signal each other using gases. Um, one of the major gases 
that 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 a plant produces is something called jasmonic acid uh, or or methyl jasminate. And this particular stuff, when you crush a plant's leaves, it it's it goes up into the atmosphere, and a plant nearby can detect it. Now, the reason for making this is that it's a signal for plants to, when one plant is being eaten by an herbivore, it's a signal for another plant to start making nasty chemicals so it doesn't taste very good. Mm. So if one plant is, eat, is being eaten, then it sends off this signal, and then the other plant is less likely to be eaten. And this chemical, this, this gas, is actually able to trigger electrical responses. And so what these people were seeing was a real thing. It's not like it's not like they were making up their results, but their interpretation Yeah, their interpretation backwards. was bad, yeah. Interesting. And so and so I I, I, I hesitate sometimes when, when people talk about plants having 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 all these incredible fantastic abilities because it brings to mind this horrible book again. Uh, I I think I might have seen the documentary based on it. Uh, there was on the, one. Yeah, I think there was. Um, I don't think I read the book. I was I was only like seven years old when it came out. So I think I think Disney Disney might have actually made the film for them, or might have had something to do. Yeah, with it, if possible. I remember correctly. Um, so we've got science news update. And that's one thing. But the the very mm-hmm. first thing I I heard of you was before science news update was actually on Starship Sofa as well, and that was you were a narrator. Uh, you read an amazing Ted Chiang story called The Merchant and the Alchemist Gate. Oh yeah, amazing story like, and an amazing narration. I was I was very surprised to hear you weren't a professional narrator. Um, well, yeah, a lot of people were surprised that I that I wasn't from the Middle East either. <laughs> uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't Arabic. Um, I yes, uh, well, I it was it, it's a really good story. I mean, Ted, Ted Chang stories are are, are incredible. Um, I was I was a little a little perturbed when he was interviewed. Uh, by uh, by by Tony Smith, and uh, he he actually said that uh, he he never listens to narrations of his stories because I, I was kind of curious as to what he would think of the narration, and I never mm-hmm. did find out. And I probably never will find out. Um, it's uh, I mean it's 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 a, a classic uh, a classic uh, story that you you would almost expect to hear out of Arabian Nights. I mean that's the way it feels. Absolutely. With a science science spin on it, right? You know, a, a exactly. little less on the fantasy and a little more on the on the you know keep it consistent, right? By by having that that time travel story, but I mean it was it was entirely consistent internally. I mean, just just such a good story, and I really I really enjoyed that. And I think I'm trying to remember whether that was the first. I don't think that was the very first story I did for for starship sofa but uh, that was that might have that was among the first stories it was the uh, one that that really stood out and i was i was shouting it from the rafters everybody check out this story it's amazing it's an amazing story and it it was a terrific narration a great combination yeah well i i really i mean i really try to uh to do my best on these narrations uh it's uh it's I mean, I've been doing I've been doing voices and stuff for quite a while. Um, I mean, if nothing else, to keep my students interested in what's going on, because <laughs> uh, it's hard to keep their attention. College students are not. Um, but um, but uh, the and I've been I've been 
you're going to find this amusing. I've been one of the things that I've been doing for many many years is is reading to my wife because my wife knits and she uh, and she does other sort of uh, handcrafts like. Uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, uh, Cross stitching. Mm-hmm. And so she does a lot of this. Uh, I mean, she makes she makes a huge. I mean, one of the things she's doing now is she makes lots and lots of hats, little little baby hats for charities mm-hmm. uh, that uh, go off to, to hospitals. But anyway, uh, so and so to, to I started instead of sitting in front of a television uh, for many many years, I've been I've been uh, reading to her. Nice. And uh, she gets the, the the benefit of all my skills, which I've developed <laughs> over the years, I guess. We are, we're getting the benefit of, of those skills. <laughs> I, guess, I guess in the end, yeah, that's the case. Uh, well, that's um, traditionally how, how books were consumed in the old days, right? Before TV and before radio, people would buy a book, and then they'd sit around in the evening and reading, reading it to each other, maybe trading off or maybe not. And that's and that's that's actually a good point, and uh, and I, I suppose that at the time that was that was a, a good form of entertainment because again, the person would get to change voices and make it interesting, and uh, and you could discuss it while you're going along. Um, so it's something that obviously you can't do when uh, you're listening to a podcast. But uh, I think that uh, it, it it is you're right. It's a very old tradition in terms of uh, in terms of the practice. Um, the very, very first thing that I ever recorded was was actually not for Starship Sofa. I think I, I started recording their stuff after my own podcast was started. Uh, and the very first thing I ever recorded was uh, I Libertine. Yeah, which uh, is, that's in the Uvula Audio podcast feed, right? The, and that's you've got right. two. You've got a kids podcast feed and an adult podcast feed. And I, I, I'm, I think this distinction is fairly artificial because I'm looking at both, and they're, they're. I mean, <laughs> I would read most of the kids ones, and I'm not a kid. I think I think my, the distinction is. I mean, for for anybody who goes to the website, the distinction is more for parents than anything else. And I guess I could throw them all on one, one uh, in one place, and have people just look at the uh, look at the ratings I give them. Mm-hmm. The ratings are almost always for the kids. It's almost always G, but that's not always the case. I mean, I did I did Call of the Wild, and Call of the Wild. That's awesome. I <laughs> all sorts of throat tearing out. And it's great. I, yeah, I know. I I didn't remember any of that. I mean, when I when I originally when I originally read that it must have been years and years ago because i do not i did not remember any of the throat being torn out or any of the violence or people falling through the ice or anything all that stuff crap kicked out of him for the first you know two chapters of the book he's just beaten mercilessly yeah yeah yeah. i mean i had i had completely forgotten all that stuff and then i started reading it and i'm realizing i wonder if this is a good idea to have this on the kids podcast here well it's, especially since it's I'm a kid's classic it is a kid's classic it's nothing uh, like I mean, l frank baum that's true it's nothing no. like l frank baum although l frank baum if you read enough of it it is just seriously weird i mean weird weird but he doesn't uh, go into I, I don't the violence know. right that's the it's well it, uh, there's a lot of there seems to be a lot of violence in l frank baum but it's all bloodless violence or I don't know how else to put it. I mean, sometimes it's 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 violence without actually being violent. I mean, yeah, the uh, guy, a guy has no brain, so when you open up his head, it's not a big deal. <laughs> He's made a straw. Exactly, exactly. Or or people people being chopped in half. 
Um, but they're not they're not people. They're 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 from some sort of alien culture, which is in uh, in uh, who knowsville somewhere. And it doesn't matter if you chop them in half. I, I'm trying to remember what story this was. Well, the Tin Woodsman. Uh, the Tin Woodsman. His story is pretty good. You have he he, he has an enchanted axe, and he accidentally chops. Well, it it it's cursed, so it keeps chopping off his limbs while he's trying to chop wood with it. Oh, right. I had forgotten that. Yeah. And he's eventually completely right. turned into a robot. But he's, he starts off as a cyborg and ends up as a robot. He eventually chops his own head off, and they finally replace that. Yeah. It's a ship of Theseus sort of robot. Right, right, right. That's I had uh, that. It was been quite a while since I read that. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, but there's yeah, there's weird stuff. Again, they're one of the stories that I was that I actually narrated. Uh, I think it might have been Sky Island. I think that was it. Where where the evil king actually takes takes people and he chops them in half and he sticks random halves together in order to uh keep them from uh from from annoying him anybody who's a rebel he does that to it's just very strange i i i think kids love violence i mean as long as it's not I... happening to you personally if it's in a story they they get that i mean they get they get scared but that's that's the fun part right yeah yeah, I mean, and, and again, it's it's always bloodless, and, and oddly, it's done in a kind of very strange way. I mean, in a in a, in in in, a, in, a, in its own sort of happy, odd way. So I, I well, especially I in think Frank, that, Frank uh, Baum, yeah, exactly. I mean, even even, uh, I mean, I was uh, I was doing some of the final narration on uh, the Santa Claus story on uh, the last couple of days. And uh, there's there's a battle in which an entire race of evil beings is killed off, and it's like yes, but they were evil, so it wasn't so bad that they all died hideously. Genocide, <laughs> oh, no problem. God. Exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it, you're right. It is kind of artificial to have to have those separations. And at some point, I may I may end up just throwing them together. You know, and and oddly enough. Uh, I mean, you could see where I have these sort of cross podcasts where they're podcast on both the adult and the children. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, Doc and part Savage of that is because Doc Savage is on both. Santa Claus is on both. I think I may have put the Avenger on both. And and Doc Doc Savage, it can be fairly fairly violent. Again, kind of bloodless sometimes, but 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 pretty violent. Um, but I I give. I give appropriate ratings, but the thing is, if, if you're if you're not actually looking at the website, you never see the ratings. <laughs> if you're only looking at the, or you only get the uh, the actual podcasts on a podcatcher, you never see that I gave anything a rating, and you don't see that uh, that uh, L. Frank Baum is is rated G, and uh, that Doc Savage was uh, is rated PG thirteen or something. And it's really it's it's interesting mix. I've got you've got you've got the. Um, You've actually got some of your own stuff on there too. I should mention that the uh, Hamlet and Eggs I was listening to uh, last week. Uh, I, I heard some of it earlier, and then I, I lost. I had to reboot my iPod or something, and I lost some of the files. So um, that's that's the. It's a comedic uh, detective story with a pig. It's it's a comedic detective story set in uh, set in Georgia. Uh, I. I've got in-laws down there, and we've visited Georgia a bunch of times. And I thought, oh, this would be kind of interesting to set a story in Georgia, especially if you take a uh, uh, an ex-cop uh, who's a detective and put him down there. 
and uh, and I thought it was it, it was reasonable to uh, take a detective and uh, put him down in Georgia. If uh, if if especially after nine eleven, a lot of people uh, left New York City after nine eleven and decided that uh, they they would be safer elsewhere. Mm-hmm. This coming from somebody who's twenty miles from the city here, um, and 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 it, I mean, it, it kind of a fish out of water kind of story, and I thought that it was it was just. It, it, you're right. It was it was supposed to be very comedic. It and is. I I I I, 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 I say supposed to because I'm never quite sure the way things come off when when people are listening to them. Um, I, I let me tell you that I could that that people that I know from Georgia who have listened to it have gotten all offended. They they huh. they come back and they they say we're not all a bunch of uh, hicks down here. I tell you, we don't all sound like that. <laughs> Hmm. So, kind of disproving <laughs> your point there, sir. Uh, yes. Uh. <laughs> Mind you, uh, and, uh, I think I think you know if you say everyone somewhere is is always something, then you're always wrong. But uh, this no, is also I, a fictional story, so it's not like, uh, and it's uh, I'm not sure how realistic it is either. Even though it, it does doesn't go for. Um, I I I I don't even know if I don't know if there are any private detectives really anymore that are doing anything other than divorce work. Is there anybody doing um, anything other than divorce work? They do. I think that there are private detectives that still work for corporations doing okay. uh, industrial doing uh, studies for yeah. security things like that. Right. But you're right. I I don't know how many there are that are doing anything except that. Um it's but, sort of a, uh, it's it's it, sort of a it's sort of a we just accept that there there are people out there willing to hire private detectives to <laughs> to find their missing animals and such and, and such it it you know it, it was it was meant to be it was meant to be silly and i and i think that it was silly and it was meant to be amusing and 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 most of all it was just meant to be entertaining i mean i i, I wasn't was, out to and, write the great american short story <laughs> I think it was, but I, I was just thinking about this too. You, you did a most recently you did a narration for SFF Audio uh, called "The Code of the Poodles," and it's actually kind of a similar story, isn't it? In, in, in the yeah. setup, I didn't think about that until just now, but uh, it's it's got an animal that's involved with a uh, you know inheritance, etc. Yeah, that's 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 actually a good point. Uh, the the big difference is is that uh, I think in my story none of the animals talk. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, I, I, and by yeah, by the way, I had a hard time. I had a hard time coming up with a voice for a poodle. Let me tell you, it was very good. Sound? It's a French poodle. <laughs> that's exactly what I concluded. It's a French poodle. <laughs> And 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 granted that the the poodle was actually not not actually talking. It was signaling, right? That's a good point. That's a good point. It was it, that's that's true. It was signaling. <laughs> so you could you could lend it any kind of a voice you like. That right. I, I imagine that the that the the person who it was talking to heard this voice in that's their right. head as a that's right. as a French poodle. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a, that's a yeah. I think. Uh, I, I think I'd love to get more stories from uh, from Jim and get him to uh, give them to you to narrate because I think 
Well, uh, there's two that I narrated. I, I really enjoyed. I both uh, the, the Juve story. Yeah, Hector I Juve. Hector, I, I, I enjoyed Hector that one, and, and the uh, and, and the poodle story. I like those both. He's a great so writer. He's, he's a very good writer. Yeah, and he only does um, shorts. I and he only does well. A lot of good writers only do short stories. I mean, Chang Chang is a good example. Yep. I mean, I don't think he's Nadella. ever written anything except for. Story. Longest yeah. novella. I don't think he does much. He doesn't even do really short stuff. He just does novellas, and uh, yeah. so it's it's a big shocker, really. Um, but I think uh, you know there are a lot of people who they say I like science fiction. That's all I like, um, and I think then that's a big mistake because there's a lot of great writing that happens outside of the of the genre in in. Um, its most strict boundaries, like, really, The Friends of Hector Juvet is not a science fiction story, but it's set in a, in a non-existent world, right? It's set in a, in a right. sort of an analogous version of um, a French prin- principality that it doesn't exist. It's not Monaco, but it's like Monaco, right? Right. I mean, that's what I was thinking as I was reading it, that I kept thinking, this is not Monaco, this is not Monaco. Okay. It's like Monaco. Um, and mm-hmm. I think, uh, I think, um, that it's it's based on a trip to Monaco, right? Just like mm-hmm. yours is based on a trip to Georgia, right? But not really real Georgia, and not really real Monaco, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, if you, I don't know if you've read any of his other stuff, but he he did uh, a terrific uh, short story called um, uh, "A Dirge for Clown Town," which was collected in. This is how I found out about him. He was collected in a. Uh, best fantasy of the year. It was published in in the mystery magazine that he's always published in, either Ellery Queen or uh, Alfred Hitchcock. I think it was Ellery Queen mystery magazine. Um, and the thing is, is James Powell is only known really for for writing in Ellery Queen. He's not known for writing out uh, outside that. But he's also been in tons of issues with Isaac Asimov, right? Who mm-hmm. wrote both science fiction and and mystery. And right. and there there are often cases where there are people out there writing stuff that you just don't hear about unless somebody's out there championing it. Like you've you've been doing you've, you've interest, introduced me to that book Divers Down, which is uh, totally a book I would have got when I was a kid if I had known about it, but I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. I just never heard of it. Mm-hmm. I I heard about it and I read it when I was a kid and I went, and then. Uh, I I thought this will this is an awesome book to narrate. This is just such a fun book. I mean, it's it's a little dated, but uh, I think that uh, everybody who hears it just just realizes what a great adventure story it is. I mean, whether you whether you realize it's the 1970s or not that it's being written about, and I think you know listening to it, it's easy enough to sort of update it in your own head as long as you're not thinking. This story is written. This story is written for about 1970s teenagers, mm-hmm. and I guess you could kind of, you, you kind of get that impression listening to the story because everybody seems a lot more polite than they, <laughs> than they are nowadays. Well, the kids are a lot. Yeah, more the kids polite. are more respectful to adults, perhaps. And there are no iPods. So no, uh, no iPods. It must be the 1970s. I, I have no problem, you know, doing the retro thing because, there, mm-hmm. in fact, there's much. I think there's a lot more. There's a lot more better stuff out there to be mined in the past than there is to be found in the on the present bookshelves. 
Um, mostly because we remember things, and if you're still talking about it, then it's probably got some some cachet that that a lot of the stuff that is out now that just has advertising behind it won't ever have. Right. And uh, so I assume that you you like the 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 writer of that, uh, and you you realize that uh, what else uh, that he also wrote Rip Foster. Yeah, I I I, I, I did. I haven't heard Rip Foster, but um, I'm uh, I'm always intrigued in researching the um the story so that you the most recent one you started was the Rick Brandt series which is yes. uh yes. by John Blaine and that's sort of a competitor i guess with uh, Tom Tom Swift was it a yeah the, the, the big difference between the big difference between Rick Brandt and Tom Swift was that the Tom Swift stories were sort of made up science Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it it wasn't it wasn't based on any kind of reality. I mean, anti gravity devices and all sorts of stuff like that. Tom Swift had something with you know out of out of uh, spit and bailing wire that nobody could ever invent. And uh, exactly, I mean, or if Rick, they could, Rick Brandt, it's not explained. Exactly, but Rick Rick Brandt, on the other hand, it was always it was always based on on reality. And 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 the thing is. If uh, well, so, sort of reality, more reality than Tom Swift, and and it was really more more of a of a straight adventure story in the case of Rick Brandt. I mean, and again, if, if I, have you listened to Rick Brandt yet, or I've just... started, I haven't finished it yet. Okay, well, I mean, one of the one of the comments that that, and this this really is is the case. I mean, Johnny Quest was based on Rick Brandt. Mm-hmm. I mean, down down to the fact that. Uh, uh, their parents both live on an island. That uh, that uh, Johnny Quest's father has a name that's very similar to Rick Brand's father's name. Uh, I think it was oh, what was it uh, Anson Quest, and it was Hartson Brandt. I believe those are the names. Uh, and you could go on and on and on. And and they 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 were they were very similar uh, in the second in the second Rick Brandt book. Uh, he he gets a best friend. Who's eventually adopted? Who's who's an Indian, just like Haji? Um, but uh, s- somebody somebody decided that uh, I think that they they were never sued for this, but uh, they decided that uh, Rick Brandt was a good basis for uh, for for having a TV show. Never seen Johnny Quest, so I, I wouldn't. I probably would never see uh, spot the parallels, anyways. But <laughs> it was Johnny Quest a, a science based show as well? Uh, it was it was uh, it was about a a father son uh, who kind of uh, went around the went around the world having adventures and uh, they were they were sort of science adventures. I mean, his father was a scientist and he was always working on one thing or another around the world. Um, there's a the the TV show. Oh, I'm trying to remember what uh, what station it's on. Oh, the Venture Brothers. Have you seen the Venture Brothers? I no, I haven't. Oh well, it's, uh, it's uh, well. This is that's that's actually a, a new show. It's been out in the last three or four years, and uh, it's actually a parody of of Johnny Quest. So this is a parody of something you've never seen before. So, <laughs> but I, I yeah, if, if you've never seen it, I I, I recommend uh, renting renting maybe uh, an episode on DVD. I mean, the the art for the nineteen late nineteen sixties was really very good. I mean, it was really well made. I mean, uh, it was one of the few cartoons. That was on in prime time. Oh, really? It wasn't on. An, uh, yeah, there weren't very many cartoons that were on. Were on uh, for sort of kids slash adults. This is one of the few, 
and uh, that one and the Flintstones were another, and there were a couple of others. So it does have it does have kind of a violent edge to it, <laughs> um, for, which was I assume for the parents, and uh, lots of uh, machine guns and stuff like that that you wouldn't have seen on a Saturday morning. Mm. Um, but but anyway, getting back to Rick Brandt, uh, Rick Rick Brandt. Uh, that's that's an interesting one because it, it's unclear as to who wrote it. Uh, they they're pretty sure that uh, that uh, Harold Goodwin wrote like the last fifteen years worth or twenty years worth of adventures, mm-hmm. but they're not sure whether Harold Goodwin wrote the the first uh, first few years worth. And so there's been this 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 big big argument as to whether it was Goodwin or somebody else, and. Uh, some people have suggested it was the same, the same uh, person who wrote uh, Doc Savage, and uh, that's well, that's that's not entirely clear whether that's the, that's the case or not. I mean, one of the reasons they suggest that is is that if if you if you listen or read to the first couple of Rick, Rick Brandt stories, it has a very similar kind of uh, setup, yeah, tone, tone to Lester Dent. I mean, Lester Dent sounded a lot like. A lot like uh, the Rick Brandt stories did, uh, it, it, it obviously in kind of a juvenile way, but it was very similar. Hmm. Well, I I didn't read a ton of the Hardy Boys style books back then, but if I didn't know they exist, you know, I didn't know that there was such a variety. I remember, you know, I'd see the Hardy Boys <laughs> on the shelf, I'd see Nancy Drew. And I'd say, well, Hardy Boys is sort of the same every time, and it's a mystery, and Nancy Drew is the same, except it's just one girl instead of two boys. It's sort of the same stuff, but uh, there seems to be a little bit more variety out there than I was aware of, Uh, you know, written serially, I mm -hmm. guess is what it was, serial books? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I I mean, they're, they're serially written, and they were written by a variety of people using house names. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the publisher kind of made up. And uh, and yeah, there is there are differences between them, and I was I was kind of surprised too. I mean, there there seem to be a lot more than even I knew about. I mean, my my wife has told me about about a couple. I mean, I had never heard. I had never actually. I thought the Bobsy twins were like a joke, but the Bobsy twins no. apparently were a series of books. Yeah, uh, I which I had never actually read or heard of. And then there yeah, were it was the a punchline to something in a movie. I would hear the Bobsy twins. They're just like the Bobsy twins. Yeah. I said, who the hell are the Bobsy twins? And, and I guess that there were there were there were some other sort of young young detectives. I think that Rick Brandt sort of stands above the rest insofar as he's a little older. He's he's graduated high school, so he's like nineteen. And I think that almost all the rest of those stories involve involve kids that are still in high school. I think that's that's one of the big differences. Mm-hmm. The other big difference is, is that he's got this this best friend who's the ex marine who fought in World War II, which is kind of interesting, and, uh, and and can certainly take care of himself. Uh, and and there and again there there does seem to be a certain amount of of at least at least as far as science is concerned, reality about the, the Rick Brand stories. I guess that it, at the very first few stories, they called them electronic adventures, mm-hmm. which, which kind of referred to, I mean... Making radios or something. <laughs> exactly. It, it kind of, I mean, that was, that was kind of coming out in terms of the 1930s and 40s. The kids in the 30s and 40s built their own radios. And, and uh, I mean, it was, it was tantamount to what hackers do nowadays. 
and uh, and I think that that was was try to appeal to them. I mean, uh, eventually they they changed the name and they got rid of the electronic part. I think if you look at the later books, and it was just like uh, Rick Brandt Mysteries or Rick Brandt Adventures, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, but but they they really were trying to appeal to to uh, I guess the 1930s and 40s electronic geeks. And I, there were apparently more of them out there than than I would have guessed. <laughs> they, they're buying books, anyways. Uh, it might well, not have been books. the majority of people, but it certainly was um, mm-hmm. certainly yeah. was a substantial portion of uh, the book market. All of those um, mystery books and adventure books. Exactly. I mean, they were making they were making a lot of money at that, and and I think it was coming at the tail end of the pulp era, because I think the pulps were mainly were mainly focused on adults they were mainly trying to 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 get adults to read them but i think that the kids read them i mean 13 14 15 year olds read them probably as much as the adults did and i think that that as the as the pulp books started to get sort of faded out as the 40s kind of came to an end i think that the publishers realized a lot of these books are being read by kids maybe we should specifically Try to uh, try to address that market. Yeah, I, I heard a documentary on Edward Stratemeyer not that long ago, and it was a it was a he, basically it was saying that um, he had found a, a, a niche in the market that was so untapped that that his success was unbelievably strong. His main problem was getting enough material written and hiring enough mm-hmm. people to write for mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. All of that demand that was out there. Once he once he found it, yeah. and then it sort of followed. Uh, he he had a domination of the market for a while, and then um, he started getting some competitors. After the the real publishers started saying, "Well, you know, there's does he does seem to be selling. He's cutting out some of our business. In fact, mm-hmm. exactly. But the, this trend sort of. I mean, Nancy. People talk about Nancy Drew today, and maybe they're referring to the television show. But these books sort of have disappeared as a as a set. But I guess we've got paranormal romance to replace them. What do you think? What's, what's, what's replacing? <laughs> you, mean, uh, you mean you mean you mean for kids? Yeah, no, what, you're what has replaced right. it? Uh, well, I mean, obviously uh, the Twilight series of mm-hmm. books, Harry Potter. Harry Potter, yeah, that replaced something. Uh, and, and, then, and then there's a whole series of, of Harry Potter look-alike books. Uh, gosh, uh, like the uh, the one about the uh, the kid who's supposed to be uh, related to Neptune. What was the name? There was a, there was a oh, movie. Oh yeah, Rick Riordan. Just, just, yeah, the Rick Riordan books. So. Uh, uh, yes, and there's and 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 I guess there's some others that are related to that as well. But you're absolutely right. I think I think that part of that is that. Kids, a lot of kids no longer want to hear about about their own, at least potentially about their own lives. That they're more interested in fantasy. They're more interested in the stuff that's out there, the stuff that could be as opposed to is. I mean, yeah, sure, mystery stories are, are interesting, but they're set in a world that already is. Who wants to hear a mystery story? Well, I mean, when you Wizard already- of Oz is certainly no uh, no uh, realistic story either. But uh, I no, always no. the sense that you know the Wizard of Oz is is for is is for people under thirteen, and that the the mystery books are sort of kids over thirteen or something like that. You know, there's sort of a age yeah. gap and. Yeah, yeah, it's but it's interesting. I mean, I think that children children back in the early 1900s 
seem to be much more sophisticated with language than we are now. Because if, if you go back and you read those books, those Baum books, they're written in much more sophisticated language than I think most 10-year-olds would really comprehend very well now. Um, which, is, which is an unfortunate statement, especially given the, the fact that I see so many students who can neither read nor write, even given that they're in college. Yes, it's a small problem, isn't it? Well, I, well yeah, we could spend an entire show talking about that. Well, why don't we, uh, why don't but, we talk about H.P. Lovecraft for a minute? Because, you know, I can see that you're a big fan, just by yes. the fact that you're, you're, uh, you're, you're happily narrating H.P. Lovecraft. Who else do you read? You read H.P. Lovecraft. We di- uh, we've got the, uh, the, um, the pulpy stuff. What do you think about H.P. and his, his uh, contemporaries, etc.? Well, I think, I think H.P. was probably the, the, the best writer of the bunch in terms of, of just being able to scare the heck out of you. I mean, and, and, and again, given, given – that's it's always interesting. You, you read Lovecraft and you, you get this language which is not all that straightforward sometimes and yet at the same time his images just scare the heck out of you. Even, even given the fact that he – he he doesn't he doesn't write like Stephen King for example. I mean no. Stephen King Stephen Stephen King when he's writing uh, is very graphic and very extreme in his uh, his descriptions of things. I mean they could be very frothy sometimes, but but Lovecraft Lovecraft his 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 descriptions just scare you in so far as you start to start to think about what exactly is he talking about and then when you start to sort of realize it you start to get the hair on the back of your neck prickling and i think that's one of the interesting things about lovecraft that it's not just you read it you read it and it scares you because it's bloody or because somebody's head has been chopped off or something it's it's the implications of what he's talking about very often i was thinking uh, he doesn't so much scare scare the uh, reader as he scares his characters and and then we sort of get a transference from them exactly that's exactly right i, I mean i i haven't read a massive amount of lovecraft but it's very rare from what my reading of it that he he tells stories in the third person he he, he almost never tells a story in the third person does he, he i can think of uh, an example but it's i'm sure he's always, done it it's almost always in the third it's always always in the first person it's always told by by somebody about events that happened a while ago and it's always and and the thing is it's still incredibly scary and that and and and, and there, there's just so little you can say and, and it's it's he's amazing a, he's a lover of adjectives and he he finds the most amazing adjectives to use to describe what he's not describing <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly, and and I think that 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 made him just just stand out among all the other writers, uh, probably since then, as as well as before then. I mean, nobody has been able to do what he did, uh, and 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 I think that his his language is just so so rich and just so so amazing uh, c- compared to anybody else. So, uh, would you take a transfer to uh, Miskatonic? Uh- if. Uh, hell no! I could. <laughs> hell, hell no! Uh, that that is a university I would not like to teach at. Thanks very much. Uh, right, actually, somebody, 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 somebody gave me a Miskatonic uh, sweatshirt for Christmas, 
which I, I am I am quite proud of and I'm gonna I'm gonna wear that to work a couple of times. And let me tell you, I'm the first the first person who asks me, Oh, did you teach there? Did you go to Miskatonic? Yep. Uh, I know some student is going to do that. I'm going to yeah. tell them, yes, I did. <laughs> I did my undergraduate work there, and I had my mind blasted. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I, we, uh, we, we, we were lucky uh, to, to get Craig Nickerson uh, to narrate at the Mountains of Madness for us. He, he volunteered, and um, he did such a great job. I mean, um, it was it's it's kind of interesting because when I when I when I when first contacted by him, he uh, he he kind of gave me references by sending me to a website that had a bunch of uh, a bunch of poetry by some of H.P. Lovecraft's uh, uh, contemporaries uh, narrated, mm-hmm. and and I I had never actually talked to him and I listened to the poetry. He did a fantastic job. He did a great job. That the he it scared the heck out of me, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, and then, and then later, when uh, when Craig actually finished uh, the, uh, the the first uh, the first story, and he sent that off to me, the first uh, volume, I was I was amazed because I I had thought that Craig was a young man, and he t- and I and I learned later when I t- when I talked to him that he was uh, that that the recordings that he had sent me to were like thirty years old. Wow. And that, and that Craig was Craig was in his mid sixties by now. So what 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 he had promised me and what I got were two different things. And I thought that was kind of interesting because he still his voice fit fit the character of uh, oh what's the main character's name there? Um, he's a professor, isn't he? Dyer, Dyer, Doctor Dyer. Yeah, Professor Dyer, I believe. And uh, and it, geologist it fit, was it, he? Yeah, I believe his name was Dyer. Uh, and and it just it fit the character absolutely perfectly. I mean, it, it just sounded fantastic. Yeah, Dyer so and Liver. <laughs> yeah. Um, you did your own narration of uh, what the Shadow of T- Out of Time. That was you, right? That was me. That was me. And uh, I've uh, I've been accused of uh, it being a little dry. <laughs> I've been accused of having a terrible Scottish accent. I was, I've been accused of, uh, why did you include a Scottish accent in the story at all, since it's being narrated? Well, you know. And, you know, it's... Can't it's, please everybody. No, no, and I'm discovering that. I mean, no, no matter what I do, I've, I've discovered that somebody's going to email me and say, that's not right. I had, I had somebody, oh man, it was somebody... Especially with H.P. Lovecraft, there, there's a lot of... A lot of fans of his out there. So anything. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I had. I, I mean, just 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 to show you, uh, two weeks ago, somebody emailed me from from Brazil saying that on one of my one of my science stories that I had mispronounced one of the towns in Brazil or the university in Brazil that somebody was teaching at, and that I had to understand that uh, that in Brazil they speak Portuguese and not Spanish, and I was mispronouncing everything. It's like. I, Okay, you know, I actually know that they speak Portuguese in Brazil, and you're going to have to forgive me. I don't know the difference between pronouncing Portuguese and pronouncing Spanish. But, uh, but yeah, I, I get left, it's amazing. There's left thing in there's there's left, left, left thing in Portuguese, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I do get. I do get email all the time complaining about one thing or another. I mean, I, I certainly get. I certainly get lots of people saying that uh, they they really enjoyed something. But it's it's interesting that you, no matter what you do, you're going to get complaints. 
Um, but uh, no, I I, what the, I really liked the shadow the shadow out of time because it it's one of those those books that's that's absolutely amazing in so far as it covers millions of years mm-hmm. in terms of time. I mean, how many books can you say cover millions of years in terms of the narrative? Not very many. There's a few, a uh, few from his contemporaries, uh, yeah. uh, but that's that's about it. And, and 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 just the entire concept of it was just so amazing. Um, it, you ever seen uh, the old Doctor Who uh, Silurians and such? You know, you yes. know what I'm talking about? Yes. Oh yeah, I've seen I've seen every season of Doctor Who. So. Okay, well the Silurians are the ones that uh, I thought I thought these are the old ones. I, I mean, I, I thought about this afterwards because mm-hmm. I watched originally watched them. I didn't know about H.P. Lovecraft, and um, I thought you know they've they've sort of made a, you know these guys have been asleep for a long time under the sea, and um, mm-hmm. and they're come back to reclaim their planet, right? But they're not they're not monsters of uh you know uh supernatural they're they're scientific creatures and in a in the same way it's really interesting the way hp lovecraft you know is very atheistic about the the universe but he's he creates all these gods godlike horrible things to replace right. to replace right. it and um <laughs> <laughs> that's that's actually a good description of it. Well, they're all they're all horrible, right? They're they're all you know menacingly well, uncaring. I I guess I mean I got I got the impression I got the impression that yeah they're they're uncaring. I mean the the Yithians I got the impression that they were they were very non-human, but that at the same time. That they weren't horrible per se; they just they just wanted to understand the world around them better, and that they were they were very good scientists. Mm-hmm. And and, and, I they, think, and I, they loved their books and their, their libraries, right? Exactly, exactly. And and I, I think that uh, that a lot of people would would call like the Shadow Out of Time. They would call it a horror story. Mm-hmm. And 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 I would I would disagree with that. I mean, I think that it's, it's published as a science fiction story, right? It published is in it was, a science was, fiction magazine. It was, it was published in Astounding. I mean that that was a science fiction magazine, and um, I, I I know that Astounding did publish some horror like stories, but I don't think this was one of them. I think that that. There, there are no fantastical, uh, supernatural elements per se. I mean, everything that happened to the protagonist can be explained in scientific terms. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, even I, the time travel that happens is sort of not—it's—it's uh, it's information more than anything else, right? Exactly, exactly, uh, and. I think that 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 isn't necessarily the same. Well, I don't know. Even even at the mountains of madness. Well, no, I take that back. At the mountains of madness, there's a lot of sort of supernatural stuff that's hinted at. Mm-hmm. Where you, it's as if you've got you've got the science fiction story with this sort of outer casing of of supernatural stuff. I mean, one of the one of the weird things I I, I find about about uh, about the mountains of madness. Is that you've, they, they continually talk about about this this isolated city here with 
with the uh, Shagos, etc., that is now dead. And then they then they reference these mountains that are higher than where the city is, and that some horrible, horrible mm-hmm. thing is on top of these mountains. And you never quite find out what the horrible, horrible thing on top of the mountains is, that even um, even the makers of that city, the architects of that city, were afraid of. And so at that point, you, you start to say, okay, well, there's this sort of science fiction stuff, and then there's this other stuff which is really weird, which you're not going to find out about here, apparently, in this story. Mm. And uh, I... I'm not sure. Did, maybe again, I, I'm not sure. I've read enough Lovecraft to to actually know what uh, whether you actually do find out what's on those outer mountains. I don't think you ever do. There are probably hints of that. Well, he he likes to not show uh, what's what's uh, there. I mean, my favorite story of his is one of his shortest, "The Statement of Randolph Carter." Right, mm-hmm. um, and I I use this one with my students because it's nice and short. Uh, it's got wonderful adjectives uh, coming out of yin yang, you know, just really old words. With you know, he's got he's got about sixteen different kind of words for rotting. Uh, all the stone was rotting, and <laughs> and there was uh, there was this growing on the 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 lichen wasn't even it, the lichen wasn't even healthy, <laughs> and everything was disgusting. And and then in the end, we get to the 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 description of the thing that's down in that tomb, and it's 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 a it's a single thing and it's also many things and it's really horrible and you don't want to know what it is but there's no definition so i always at the end i say give me a paragraph telling telling what you think was down there and they always have different <laughs> descriptions of what's going on down there and it's because Which he was... uses your own mind to you know exactly and that's what lovecraft wanted you to do and it's the same thing i mean um the, uh, the, the, the the Dyer's Dyer's co-pilot, the guy who went who went down there with him, who apparently looked back out of the aircraft and saw whatever this horrible thing on the mountain was. He got a glimpse of it, and Dyer never did, and it drove him almost mad. But you never find out. He won't. Dyer keeps saying, "Well, maybe someday he'll tell me. Maybe someday he'll <laughs> tell me." And you obviously know that he's never going to find out. <laughs> I got I, I now I got a really serious question for you. And this might okay. be our last question because I know we don't have a lot of time. But I have a really serious question for you. It's been preying on my mind lately. Um, okay. Are science is this? Uh, are zombies science fiction or fantasy? <laughs> oh man, it's a complex Uh-oh. question. Uh, how about it's, it's uh, a, I'll, I'll narrow it for you? Romero style zombies. Um, I can imagine a scenario. Okay, not where the dead are coming back to life, but I can imagine a scenario which is closer to something like 28 days. I could I could imagine a virus that would um, dampen down a lot of neural pathways which control higher mental functions. Uh, I can imagine that. Now, given that there are zombies, living zombies in nature. Believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the well, they're they're uh, insects mostly, right? Exactly. There are there are insects that are controlled by wasps, ants that are controlled by wasps. There are other ants that are that I I find this horrendous. There Beetles, are other I ants. Think, yeah. yeah, it always seems to be ants for some reason. There are other ants that are actually controlled by fungi. Um, the the fungi actually grows into the ant and then forces the ant. 
to go somewhere else to drop off the spores in order to uh, actually uh, uh, allow it to, to sporulate it in, in a wider area. Um, now, given given the fact that, 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 again, it's possible, I mean, again, it's possible to have something that cuts off higher higher brain functions, which, which would allow you basically to have the reptilian brain functioning and to have motor functioning and to not have higher brain functioning. I can, I can imagine that. Um, the likelihood of that, not, not very high. Not very high. Yeah, well, that, that would make it sci- not science, but science fiction. So you're saying that yes. some kinds of Romero-style zombies would be science fiction? Well, the Romero style of zombies. Now, wasn't that wasn't that the dead coming back to life? Yeah. So the so uh, in a way, it's like her uh, uh, Herbert West reanimator, right? Yeah. Kind of like that, where somebody who's recently deceased is revivified by okay. let's assume some sort of infection. Uh, uh, it wouldn't be an infection if you're dead. It would be a uh, I don't know para- <laughs> parasite or some you know no not a parasite I don't know a corpse eating thing. Uh, some, something that's animating the body. Yes, right. uh, I, I would say I would say that falls into the fantasy category. I mean, uh, corpses coming back to life. Uh, we have yet to see anything like that at all. I mean, nothing in nature right now does that. Whether they're insects or not, we have we have what nothing in, that what allows. What about in the plant? Plant. Uh, you know, you always see these. You know, the, there's this tree stump with the tree growing out of it, right? The tree stumps well, well, for years, but that never died. That never died. Right. See, that's not coming back to life. That that's uh, that's that that the root. As long as the roots are still alive, it can regenerate uh, more more stems. So, what uh, about then? In this case, what about in this case? Then you've got somebody who's, you know, finding out when someone is dead is actually not as easy as you know he's dead. You don't just say it. You have to, you know, check about 16 different things. And then even then, you know, not just because their heart's not beating anymore and there's no brain function doesn't mean that every cell in their body is dead, right? So, I mean, I always thought Herbert West Reanimator was a very um, scientific Mm -hmm. sort of story. I mean, it's a gruesome story. But it it seemed to me very scientific just because he did, you know, his big problem was that... He couldn't get a fresh enough death, right? Everybody's every every time he got a body, it would come back to life only, um, you know, badly because it was so decomposed already. Right, right. right. No, that's yeah. I I understand, but um, you know, I think that I'm not saying it's science. You, I'm saying is it science fiction or fantasy? Is it science fiction or fantasy? Is it science fiction or fantasy? Well, it's not science, clearly. No, it's not science, clearly. I see. I would. I would throw it. See again. It, it depends on on what end of it you're looking at. If you're if you're talking about reanimating corpses, I think that it falls into fantasy. If you're talking about if you're talking about creating zombies using a virus or creating zombies. Uh, using uh, using something that 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 does that has living tissue already, uh, a disease that's being passed across from one to another, like twenty eight days. Mm-hmm. That's science fiction. 
So it, it, it really, to me, it depends on what the source of the zombies is. Mm. If, they're, if they're already dead, I would say fantasy. If they're not already dead, I would say that's science fiction. Presumably. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but that, but to, to, to me, I mean, that's the big difference between, between Romero and 28 Days. I mean, there, there really isn't that much difference per se in thematically. I mean, the same no. stuff is going on in both. But it's the source of what's going on that, that makes these things different. Well, do you have any clue as to why zombies are so popular? You know, I've been wondering about that, and and I, it's it's unclear to me, except for possibly the the idea that people people this is going to be bad. I think that that people like the idea of being able to to bash and smash and crush something and not feel guilty about it. In other words, Absolutely. to have some sort of, well, to have some sort of foe that that you don't have to feel bad mindless about hordes. Yeah, it's 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 uh, Exactly. Mindless hordes and and it's not racist cuz you'll happily kill any any anyone who's a member of that evil group. That's right. Whether it's whether it's a child, whether it's an adult, whether they're black, white, whether they're Asian, it doesn't matter. They're zombies. They all fall into one category now. And I think that it's it's interesting in that zombies are almost almost this unifying factor. <laughs> you're no longer human. You're a zombie. So you don't actually fall into any of these other categories anymore. And I don't have to feel bad about killing you. Um, yeah, they're a kind of they're I, I, a kind of monster that that is very different from like the mummy or I mean even though the mummy is technically much more like a zombie than anything else, it's a lot yeah, different than yeah. the mummy and it's a lot different from the werewolves and and vampires in the right, vampires right, and right. werewolves can be the star of the even if they can if they're frightening they're still the star of the story whereas zombies every right. time I hear one that's not you know it's the zombies the star I always I always want to immediately stop and not continue because it's <laughs> have you have you I'm, I'm just curious have you seen have you seen the movie Zombieland uh yes I have well, I mean, the the only it's 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 very similar to a lot of other things. But the only point I was going to make is is that they do kind of bring up this idea there of of human versus zombie. That yeah, you're going to feel guilty about killing a human, even though they might look like a zombie. Uh, the, the the Bill Murray character is, uh, is is the one I'm thinking of. It was like, yeah, I didn't feel guilty about about killing him until I found out that it wasn't really a zombie anymore. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just killed Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and I think I think that that's that that's an interesting theme, and that that might be part of the clue. That uh, again, it's kind of this this mindless destruction that you can you can do. You burn down a warehouse full of zombies, and you're not going to feel bad about it. Uh, do you read any contemporary fantasy at all? Uh, contemporary. I'm trying to think. I'm just. I get the sense that you're much more of a science fiction guy, and a whole, I mean, Lovecraft is 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 sort of quasi fantasy, and so is uh, L. Frank Baum is American fantasy, but uh, right, it's very different not, from not, modern fantasy. I was going to say. I, I mean, no, I I I don't really read modern fantasy. Um, I mean, I I, I read. I mean, so, some of the stuff that I read, I'm not sure you could you could you could count as fantasy. I mean, uh, like like graphic novels. Mm. I mean, uh, 
like 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 Neil Gaiman. I guess Neil, Neil Gaiman would fantasy. probably be the. I was going to say he's, he's not he, normal me, he's fantasy. The, he's really good. That's the. <laughs> I think. <that's laughs> he's he's the only one. I mean, when I was when I was a kid, I I read a lot of sword and sorcery. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, like 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 Elric and stuff, and uh, I, I mean I I I just thought that a lot of that was fantastic, and. And and I and in picking stuff up over the years since then, it none of that stuff is very interesting anymore. Um, and and even uh, and one of the things that I that, that's been around for years and years now, talk about drawing out a series, uh, the Thomas Covenant stories, okay, by uh, by Stephen yep. R. Donaldson. That's uh, got I mean, zombies. That's, just, <laughs> that's got that's got zombies. But it's like. How many years between each book can he actually wait? I swear he must he must try to try to just draw out as much time as he possibly can. He just doesn't I mean, like I writing those, as much as a lot of the other writers. I think he. It, it, you know, but it got to the point where, in in his case, I, I got so so angry with with reading his stuff that I just kind of gave up. I, I, that uh, I just I am not going to wait around literally for years for you to finish these stories anymore. And a lot of other contemporary, contemporary uh, stuff like that. It's just, it's just not worth it, in my opinion. Uh, and, and a lot of it, and also a lot of it is just, it just seems to be feeding upon itself. If you know what I mean, mm-hmm. that, that it just seems to be the same tropes over and over and over again. And I, I have yet to see something, something clearly different, in my opinion. Uh, which is why I like Neil Gaiman. Uh, he 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 has such an incredible imagination that you you see the same tropes, but he does different things with them. Yes, he does. Uh, I was uh, comparing not that long ago. I was comparing uh, one of Neil Gaiman's books with one of Douglas Adams's books. Uh, they're mm-hmm. essentially the same book, uh, except uh, in the premise, but they're done completely different, and yet. Uh, Neil Gaiman was a big fan of Douglas Adams, so he's got to be aware of it. He just does something so different with it that it's, you know, reading Neil Gaiman is very much reading Neil Gaiman rather than reading a fantasy book. Exactly. I mean, he's got his own style and his own way of looking at things. And even even when something is fantastical, he grind, he grounds it in a reality that you don't see in other books. And I'm, I'm thinking of uh, things like American Gods, mm-hmm. where where you've got you've got this this incredible extended story and yet at the same time even though it is fantastical it's it's still grounded in in some sort of reality which a lot of other authors couldn't make you believe yeah that's which actually one the one i was mentioning uh that's uh, uh douglas adams did a book um i think it was the second dirk gently book that had mm-hmm. odin odin long retired from being a god he's just likes to lie in bed in a hospital now and his main love is is clean sheets and nice clean linen sheets and talks about them all the time right it's, he, oh, so all the gods are real and because nobody believes in them anymore they're all very weak but they're there <laughs> and that's the same story as american gods except exactly. completely different exactly. right yeah, I've, I've read them both, and I understand. Yeah, I understand your uh, the point you're making. It's absolutely true, and they're they're coming at the same story from very very different angles, very very different angles. So Neil Gaiman, you'll read Neil Gaiman, contemporary. Um, uh, should I just give up on modern fantasy? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> give up on modern fantasy. Oh, oh really? Okay, I'll I'll take I'll take your 
your advice, maybe. We'll see. Um, who, who are you reading in science fiction? Modern. At the moment? At the moment? Uh, well, I mean, one of your... One, actually, one of your uh, c- countrymen there. There aren't too many uh, Canadians, but uh, uh, James Allen Gardner is one of my favorites. Okay. Um, I think I've not read uh, any of his stuff, but I, I've I've heard about it. Um, his very first book. Oh, the uh, shoot. I'm I'm going absolutely blank. <laughs> I'll look it up. James Allen Gardner, 1955, Canadian science fiction author, raised in Ontario. First novel was Expendable. No, thank you. Expendable. Is that it? That's 97. It. That's it. 97. Uh, it's it's a, as far as I'm concerned, it's an absolute masterpiece. I mean, it it it. it uh, it comes up with some great ideas in terms of science and science fiction, and it, it posits a very different kind of. I mean, I think that at the time when he wrote it, he was trying to come up with something that was sort of like Star Trek, but mm-hmm. at the same time was very different. And it, it, it posits a universe in which basically you're being told the story from the uh, from from the position of the red shirts. You know how on Star Trek, mm-hmm. you've always, you've always, the red shirts are always the one who dies on the old Star Trek? Well, in this case, what they've got is, is they've got these groups of expendables. And the reason they're called expendables is because they, they're somehow they, they're born with some defect. They have something wrong with them, either uh, a physical uh, disability or, or something that, uh, that makes them uh, not be uh, particularly attractive to others. And basically the idea is, is, look, you really don't have a point to living. Why don't you go out and help us explore? And you're expendable. Nobody's going to notice if, you're, if you die or not. Sounds and good. It's, it's, it's actually the entire premise for a whole series of these books. And uh, it's... Uh, it's it's it, it, I think he, he he executes them very well in terms of of writing um, because uh, he he really he really has the uh, the the ability to set up a mystery and then uh, actually bring it in a direction and I, this is what I kind of liked about it he brings it in a direction that's very surprising a direction that you you wouldn't have expected uh, and you don't you don't really see that very often. Uh, from from uh, from science fiction authors, especially, they, I've not uh, ever read any of his stuff, and I just realized why he, there's not a single audiobook available. That's oh, really? Why, that's why. So I, 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 time I, to get one James Allen Gardner book done. Um, there you go. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, no, no. That explains it. But uh, it, it's it's sounding really good from what you're saying. Um, I I think that it's I think they're 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 excellent and uh, I would say I would say probably the first four or five books that he wrote are are just absolutely amazing. They kind of they kind of go down in terms of, uh, of of quality. They're not they're not he doesn't keep up the quality all the way through all of them. But uh, but still he he does a really really nice job. Well, that's what a series is for, right? To get worse and worse. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, there aren't too many that don't get better. No. Or get better. It say. says he wrote a book called uh, uh, Laura Croft Tomb Raider and the Man of... Oh, it's a piece of crud. 
It's not it's not the man of bronze we're thinking of, is it? Oh no, it's terrible. It's 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 a Laura Croft book. Yeah. <laughs> a Lara Croft Did book. you read it? Yes, I did. You see, I was I was such a big fan that I, I thought, oh, this is gonna be cool. This this will actually be the only decent Laura Croft book. And there aren't any good Laura Croft books, even in this case. Well, I mean, she is a video game character who's best known for her ponytail and her other and attributes. Her book, yes, yeah. yes, uh, it's uh, it's not good. It's it's unfortunate. Hmm. Uh, oh well. But uh, but I I do recommend uh, I do recommend the first few books. I'm going to try and get Expendable turned into an audiobook. So um, that's great. Get it get it turned into an audiobook. Fine. I can I can ask. I can say, <laughs> hey, who's going to turn this into an audiobook, please? It's possible. It's, it's possible. possible. So what else? What else should be an audiobook besides uh, uh, Expendable? Oh man, let me think. What else? What else have I been reading? I mean, I hate. I hate to admit that I'm. It's going to sound like I'm uh, like uh, like everybody else. I'm. I'm. I'm reading the girl with the dragon tattoo. Isn't that sad? Well, there's already two different versions of that audiobook. No, it's not. It's not sad if it's good. Well, I think my mom well, did a review of it. Um, it's, it's okay. Well, you know, I, I, I don't know what your mom said, but I've, I've got my problems with the book. I think it's turgid, and mm. it's, it, it's, it's very, very difficult to follow. Like the thirty different characters that uh, that he has you trying to follow, and 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 there's only really two protagonists, but part part of having to follow this story is that uh, that. You've got you've got this journalist who's trying to write this biography for this industrialist, and and you've got like all of the industrialist's relatives you have to try to follow in order to figure out the mystery in the book. And the thing is, you don't even know if any of this is important. You're reading it and reading it and going, why is it important that uh, two of his relatives were Nazis, Swedish Nazis in the 1930s? Is this going to matter later or not going to matter at all? And you and you kind of wade through the novel, try and figure out whether you're supposed to be memorizing this stuff or remembering it or not. And so, in, in that sense, I it's it's almost a painful book to to read. In so far as you have to keep stopping and 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 weighing whether things are important or not. Well, uh, that's exactly what my mom said. I think she really? said uh, uh, there are too many characters. We get to know all their names and their breakfast habits, no matter how minor a role they play in the story. Oh, yeah. um, blah blah blah. Um, and then uh, she said she needed a family tree, so I I found one online and uh, put it up. Because <laughs> there's uh, yeah about thirty thirty people in that the van Avenger. I think, I think that I the newest the new, she, she, maybe she got a preprint of the book in order to review it because the newest versions of the book do have a family tree in them. Uh, well, the audiobook doesn't. She has oh, the audiobook. audiobook. Yeah. Oh, my God. You know, I can't even imagine trying to follow this as an audiobook. Oh, my gosh. She says uh, it might be easier to understand as a print book, but I, yeah. I'm betting not. Uh, no, no. It's a little, it's a little easy. I, I imagine it would be a lot easier if, if there weren't just so much to try to keep track of. In, in that, it's, it's just Maybe if you're used to Swedish fiction. I don't know. I see. I don't know whether it's this particular author or or not. I actually I came across a movie, which I, I was very surprised. I'm, I'm a big anime fan, and I came across an animated movie, a Swedish movie, which uh, which uh, has been dubbed into English. It's called uh, Metropia, 
and um, it's it's a science fiction story. I haven't I haven't seen it yet, and um, it it's written by Stieg Larsson. And so I'm not sure whether I'm looking forward to watching this. I'm supposed to watch it next weekend with a bunch of friends. And I'm not sure whether I'm looking forward to watching this or not, given, given uh, his, his, let's say, uh, turgid abilities. 6.0 out of 10 on uh, IMDb with uh, 1,500 votes. So it's not, not going to blow your mind, I would guess. No, no. It should be, it should be interesting, though. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it, uh, <laughs> I don't think it's going to be as fantastic as I'd hoped. <laughs> it's anime? It looks like, uh, from the pictures, it looks like it's, it's sort of uh, photo- photographs with big heads. Uh, it's, it's Swedish, and they tried to make it photorealistic. Photorealistic. Oh, so it's the Uncanny Valley. Um, I, I, mind you, they do kind of look like anime characters because everybody's eyes are about three times too mm-hmm. large. I think um, didn't you do a, uh, a science news update on on uh, baby eyes? Yes, a long time ago. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and why why baby eyes are uh, you know what they're wh- why they're like that and how we react to them, etc. Yes, they're to protect the babies from us killing them. <laughs> well, that makes sense, but uh, but wouldn't it be that uh, wouldn't it be so? If we see something with big eyes, we think it's cute, right? Exactly. I mean, that's why. That's why. If you look at, um, if you, if, it's interesting. If you go back and look at, um, oh, uh, I just saw this, uh, Steamboat Willie, the original original Mickey Mouse. Go back and look at the original Mickey Mouse and compare Mickey Mouse to what he looked like when he was first drawn to what he looks like now. And one of the things you'll notice is the head is much rounder, the eyes are much bigger. It it looks as if his features have been, what's the best way to put it, babyfied, mm-hmm. and that was done purposely to make him more attractive to younger audiences, and it worked. Mm. Yeah, I and see. I see what you're saying. And it's one of the reasons that uh, it's one of the reasons that I th- that I think that uh, we don't uh, kill babies for crying at three a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, but some people do though. So, so what's the explanation for that? Oh, uh, well, some people don't have the right circuitry in their brain. Let me tell you. Well, yeah, clearly, but it, it's a it's it's a fairly universal phenomenon, at least amongst mammals, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if you yeah, just about every small mammal has has that. I mean, anything that anything that humans think of as cute. Look at kittens. Look at puppies. They all have the the big eyes and the rounded heads. No, I'm thinking the other way around. The the uh, the infanticide. <laughs> I didn't say that it worked for other mammals. I said it works for humans. <laughs> no, mammals mammals of all kinds, including humans, uh, practice infanticide. Right. So I'm 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 trying to understand. Whenever whenever somebody this is this is my interpretation of what science is. Somebody says this is true. I say, how do we know that, right? So what would make it not true? Well, we clearly have cases where people, you say, oh, that baby's cute, that baby's cute, especially puppies. Puppies and kittens, right? They're cute. Why are they cute? They have big eyes, you say. Well, how does big eyes make me 
interesting. I know that that that's they they do have big eyes, but why is my brain interpreting that as a I shouldn't well, kill you? Th- there's a couple of things. I mean, I think that one, it, it at least to humans, it denotes a certain level of innocence. If you have if you have those gigantic eyes, you can you can see. See, this is this is this is the way I think the psychology works. You can see pupils much better. You can see the eyes much better. I mean, it, it, the, the opposite of this would be somebody who sort of slits their eyes or won't look at you in the eye. I mean, do you trust somebody who won't look at you in the eye? No. Well, presumably, if, if, if you have very large eyes and are looking straight at somebody and don't blink, then you look innocent and not like somebody that's going to hurt somebody. Actually, you and, look crazy if you're an adult, though. Well, I yes. I... <laughs> <laughs> I think if you take it to extremes, I'm not talking about taking it to extremes, okay. <laughs> but, but you get the idea. It, it, it makes you look more trustworthy. And in the case of a baby, it, it, makes them, it makes them immediately cute and trustworthy. And, oh, this is so cute. It's completely harmless. That's my interpretation. So what, what's the circuitry that uh, – so I'm basically I'm asking you to do another science news update. Uh, you're going to have to do some research, and you're going to have to find out why do people kill their babies. And why, I, I mean, I know, why, I know why animals kill, you know, the explanation we get for, you know, the wolf kills the, the wolf pup because it's not his or because it's com- competition or he's hungry or wh- whatever the explanation right. there. Uh, there's, there's a, we get the explanations for the, you know, and we even get the logic behind. Um, okay. Behind that, behind the animals, but presuming that we are like other animals, and presuming we act in similar ways to other animals, what what's going on inside the head of someone who says, um, "That's a baby, I'm going to kill it," uh, especially their own. Usually, it's their own baby, right? They, I know, I know. No, I I understand. Okay, fair enough. I'll take that as a challenge, especially given that you. I haven't I haven't written anything for this month yet. Oh, really? Okay. Um, and uh, you've got you've got saccharin on the way, right? Oh, sa- sa- that that story's already out. Not saccharin. I'm sorry. Saccharin's the old one. Sucralose. Sucralose. That's that's out already. Okay, I'm going to check out sucralose. Check check that out. It's online already. If you Great. haven't seen it, thank you. I'm going to grab it. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.